This is Purple Radio On Demand. Welcome to Motorsport Backpage. I'm your host Ryan Shea with Morgan Kendall beside me. This week has been quite an interesting one with Hamilton completing a virtual last to first at Interlagos whilst IMSA and MotoGP ended their seasons at Road Atlanta and Valencia respectively. But first something interesting from the WEC news as Porsche's protests did not work and Ferrari gets to keep the GTE Pro Championship so how do you think about that Morgan? Yeah so obviously our listeners from last week will know all about this as well as anyone who follows uh, WEC but basically if you didn't hear the um, Ferrari behind the number 51, it was behind the Porsche and it technically rammed him into the final corner and then took the lead and won. Obviously, it's controversial whether he outbroke, him, outbroke himself or whether he uh, did it on purpose or what, but basically, Porsche launched a review, didn't go through, unfortunately, for them, and Ferrari are champions. And um, personally, my personal opinion on it is the wrong decision. I think that it was even if it wasn't intentional it was a very blatant um mistake at least which caused ferrari to win the championship porsche to lose it through no fault of porsche's own so i i really feel it's the wrong decision i don't know about you i mean i do feel sorry for porsche but then like as we can see in most racing series like that is outside of formula one and formula two they're a lot more lenient on collisions i believe like they actually encourage people to actually go wheel to wheel battle and even like sometimes contact rather than just trying to basically devalue all sorts of like defending or attacking using the track width. So I believe that it's it's just that I feel bad for Fortune and all this right. It's just that I don't it's it's really fifty fifty for me. <laughs> I don't think it was happening and you will see my opinion on that. It later down the episode when we talk about IMSA because something else interesting happened but you guys will have to find out yeah one thing I do want to mention though you mentioned that wheel to wheel they're encouraging it and they're trying not to punish people that's fair enough but this wasn't a wheel to wheel incident in my opinion this was completely an outbreaking himself situation straight into the back of him it wasn't attempting an overtake it wasn't attempting to go side by side it was just a mistake or a blatant takeout but that's a whole other topic yeah we just it's happened, we can't change a thing, and we can only discuss about it, so let's move on. Let's move on to the main event then at Formula 1, where I we all thought that it's probably just going to be a normal Brazilian Grand Prix with a bit of scrim qualifying happening, but the whole weekend has been kicking off since even Friday, I believe, as Red Bull launched an interesting protest regarding Mercedes' rear wing and Hamilton was start disqualified from qualifying as a result and had to start from the back for the sprint. Well, what's interesting is that the Red Bull believe that Mercedes are using the flexi wings, which were back in Monaco, Baku time, where Mercedes were launching the protest against Red Bull. And Verstappen was having a look at the rear wing of Mercedes. And there was no, as far as I'm aware, there was no protest officially launched, but as a result, um, the rear wing ended up getting their normal DOS check. And it was just a coincidence that Max had touched the rear wing the same time as Lewis had found have broken the rules just by 0.2 millimeters on the DOS being open too wide and um, it led to the whole 24 hour saga of Verstappen being brought to the stewards for breaking Park Ferme rules, Lewis potentially losing his pole which he eventually did and it was this whole thing over the 24 hours which was very dramatic and eventually Lewis disqualified and Max given a fine for 
inspecting and touching Lewis's car, which Mercedes believed, or they were trying to at least lodge the stewards, that it could have broken the car by Verstappen touching it. Yeah, and Vettel did joke about it after the sprinters say that he might want to give it a touch on Lewis's front wing to see what the fine will be for breaking part Fermi in that situation. <laughs> yeah. So that was just people thinking different stuff. And Verstappen did joke about it of just that means less FIFA points for him. So I don't think it was too much of an issue. Oh, no. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's the exact reaction when I found it. So, yeah, I guess that is so far... What we know at the moment, like there might be more regarding the flexi wing down the next few stop, few, few races, and we just have to find out. But that ends the whole qualifying incident where Hamilton did intend to start on pole for the sprint, but was first qualifying and had to start from the back as a result, and that leads us to the sprint, where Bottas has won his second sprint qualifying session in a row, and ahead from Verstappen and Sainz, who took a very formidable third behind all the defend- like attacking drivers like Perez, like. Hamilton perhaps potentially had he got a bit more pace maybe yeah I mean Hamilton did an impressive performance going from 20th to 5th um I think to be fair if he was given a few more laps he would have at least challenged for third um obviously Perez wouldn't have let him through easily we know what he would have been like with that defense uh and I think Perez also was a bit cautious to go on science because he mentioned in post-race that he doesn't feel the value of pushing too hard in a Saturday sprint when you could just ruin your whole weekend if you do it when you can just cruise around in fourth and get a safe spot so it w- it ended up being a good sprint race though you had um Bottas obviously taking the lead from Verstappen at turn one and then from there Bottas kind of he was put under pressure from Verstappen Verstappen didn't try anything though in the end Hamilton though he just stormed through the pack and got fifth but obviously he had that t- uh five place grid penalty for the new engine which um didn't make it ideal for Hamilton, but he did what he needed to do. Got to 5th, which went down to 10th for the race, which uh, I'd say is probably the best he could have done that weekend. Or that race, sorry. Yeah, I guess. And the guy that he took 5th place from was Lando Norris. And that leads us to the start of the race, where he unfortunately had a contact and had a puncture down into Turn 1. And that basically ruined most of his race, like, before the safety car was called pretty early on. like So he could eventually come back to salvage some points in the end, but that's... Not the story we're going to be talking about yet. So, anything else on any thoughts on Raystar, maybe? Uh, well, with the Norris incident, I think that kind of spells McLaren's attempt at fourth, uh, sorry, third place against Ferrari being done because Ferrari, obviously, they were fifth and sixth in the end, I believe. Um, they were already in a strong position. They were already leading by 13, 14 points to McLaren. They had then pretty much Norris with their last hope because Danny Rick had a terrible sprint race in the end. And then, uh, Finishing 10th in a DNF for McLaren and while Ferrari finishing P4, P5, P5, P6, sorry. That's just, uh, that's it now. I don't see the way they can come back without another Monza situation. And uh, I guess Saudi Arabia could be a chance for that, but probably not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real shame for McLaren. They look so promising at the start of the season with Landon Norris just being so, so consistent. And like, about like midway through the pack, Ferrari seems to have lead a bit of a charge, but then the 1-2 at Monza seems to be the dealing blow for Ferrari. Instead, they just somehow plummeted like what towards the last few laps at Russia and then just never grew back since, whilst Ferrari has been the other guy that's just clawed back all the, all the lost ground that they've had since Monza. And, like, they're now, I believe they're ahead at the moment and, like, by quite the distance. And McLaren, like, probably couldn't catch them unless another miracle happens, so... Yeah, I well, guess that's congratulations to Ferrari so far. It's not over yet, but I'm just going to say, like, Ferrari has done a really good job since that 
that happen. Yeah, what's interesting as well, Norris, he had such a good start to the season. He got nine top six finishes in the first ten races. Since then, he's had one top six. And that being the podium at Monza, I believe. Correct, yeah. He, and as well, like I mean, you could say he had an, he was unlucky in Belgium with the rain and obviously he was on track for pole Russia. He was unlucky. But at the same time, I can't think he kind of shows he's fallen off a bit, whether it's McLaren or him or both. It's a weird thing that's happened to him because he was so, like driver of the season until Silverstone. And after that, it's just really dropped for him. Yeah, which is a real shame because like Lando Norris also like he's held such promises for McLaren. He has done his promises. He's got a multi-year contract, I believe, for next year and beyond. So we just hope that 2022 will be the season for change at McLaren, and let's hope that the drop of just be, just means that McLaren have stopped the development on t- the 2021 car and just basically focusing on the season early, so that losing P3 to Ferrari this time means a full championship or even a double for next year. Norris yeah. could lose P5 in the championship as well. He's uh, only ten point, either three points ahead of Charles, and he's only like t- eleven and a half ahead of Carlos. We'll just have to find out. Yeah. I mean, so that ends about him. And, well, obviously, with the safety car being called and later on another virtual safety car for Lance Stroll having debris on the track, well, virtual safety car was also called. And the race was theoretically said to be pushed to a one-stop. That didn't did not ultimately happen. But that does allow Bottas to overcut Paris, who took their pit stop early. And that just sets the tone for the rest of the race, where Bottas would be a, in a solid P3, Paris in a solid P4, and... Hamilton and Verstappen juking it out for the win. Yeah, because um, one thing we didn't mention is that Hamilton got to... He was up in third within 10 laps. And then... Well, five laps, actually, he was up in third. He did a brilliant start. And then he got past Perez lap 18. And then all that virtual safety car kicked off during the first round of pit stops. Then it was pretty much him versus Verstappen. And then we had the uh, the famous incident on lap 48. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend going on F1 social channels. It's all over there now. It's still a big thing because there could still be penalties. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But basically, to put it short, I'll give you the best description that I can without giving any bias. You had... Um, a good run from Hamilton, who went to the outside of the track. He looked to be ahead going into the corner, and then Verstappen tried to keep it on the inside, understeered wide, forcing Lewis off the track, and then Verstappen came out of the corner. When they were about, both about a million yards off it, he came out ahead, did Verstappen, and he managed to hold that lead until lap 60, where Lewis eventually got him and won the race. But... Now there is controversy because the stewards did not investigate that incident and Mercedes are lodging the protest because if Verstappen gets punished for it, Bottas could finish P2 and take points away from Verstappen here. Yeah, and I believe that's just... It's half ironic for Mercedes who once said early in the season that they're going to win the championship on the track and not off it, so... First of all, jokes on them for literally breaking their promise. They said that three days, no, two days before the uh, before they lodged the protest. It was quite funny. Yeah. So, you see, like, you would try to go for everything you can when you really, really are desperate, and that shows. And obviously, in my opinion, that is more a racing incident than penalty worthy. Like Verstappen might have tried to, like, more or less tried to use, like put Hamilton off the track, maybe. But like, I believe that is just racing at its finest. Like. You try to attack, you try to defend, you make mistakes during that, and, well, that's just what you see as a result. Like, I don't think that was completely intentional, but it happened. No contact was made. I think it was just... Yeah, no contact officially, anyway, was made um, that we saw on camera. 
my personal opinion is that there should have been some sort of further investigation. On first glance, I was like, yeah, it's hard racing. But at the same time, it's it was a bit desperate from from Max. He, uh, I think he saw the race fading from him. He knew he wouldn't get Lewis back. And we saw that eventually when Lewis did get by. There was just no chance Verstappen had. And was like, I've got to try something. And he just dove up the inside and hoped it would stick. And I mean, kind of did. But... Yeah, it was um it's a tough one though because you've got the hard racing let them race stance which I am all for. But at the same time, it was a bit unfair in a way towards Lewis because he I had mean, pretty much done that move Lewis and Max cake. completely just he pretty much messed up his attempt to regain the position and he but he regained the position from it. Yeah. I mean, like Lewis pretty much had the race mostly in the back by then and like Max was trying his best to give it all and I just I think it's a real shame, like, and, you know, Formula 1, the stewards do have the option to give a black and white flag to Verstappen, which means that it would be a dangerous move, but, like, no penalties, and I believe that would have been, would have been a very fair decision had I they gave so. the black and white flag, but it just did not happen, and now we've got all these fuss, and we'll just find out what the results in the end. Maybe there will be a five-second penalty. Maybe there won't. Maybe something else might happen. It might be, like, some random penalty or, like, a rules change due to these incidents, like, yeah. It might shape the future. It might just be a one-off. It, we just have to find out. The thing is, I think these guys are just such a... Both Mercedes Red Bull and then Verstappen and Hamilton, they're just such an intense rivalry at the moment that I think you're really seeing this, these sort of small incidents that probably wouldn't really be thought about if it happened to, let's say, Ocon and Stroll compared to this because it's such a big deal whether there is a penalty or not, which I think is making... Although it shouldn't, it's making the stewards' lives hard because they are effectively deci- potentially deciding, deciding the championship and deciding yeah. history. Champion. They give Hamilton if they give Verstappen a penalty, then he could if he loses the championship by three points, it will all ride on Brazil potentially. If he doesn't give a penalty, then same the other way around. Um, I mean, you could say the same. Oh, uh, yeah, you could say this why it, that's why it took so long for the, uh, for the Hamilton penalty for the sprint race. It was such a big decision that could potentially decide the championship. Yeah, so I guess that's probably most of the race incident like deal with and discuss about. And I'll just do a quick report on who scored points in the top 10. So Hamilton obviously won the race. Verstappen took P2. Bottas, Perez, Leclerc rounded out the top 5. Sainz took P6. Gasly, who had a half-decent driver, is the first person to be a lap down in 7th. Arcon, Alonso, and Lando Norris are your other point scorers. And do you know who took fastest lap? I believe it was Checo. Yep, so... The one eleven zero something something. Yeah. <laughs> I was close. It was probably, like, something something from Red Bull to try to at least see a fast start attempt. Oh, like, yeah, he did it on lap 70, I think, because he, he was worried that he might you might have Bottas pitting if he pitted on lap 69 or something. So they pitted the last possible opportunity and took it in style. In the, Well, not in style. They took yeah. it in the end. But, um, like, it's just... Well... Like once again, saying that fastest lap just been much more interesting. Like now that it's thrown into the mix, like two years ago when they were introduced, like nobody would have saw that fastest lap might decide the championship outcome because like since here and there, like you've seen some teams taking it, like McLaren taking it for their fight against Ferrari, Mercedes Red Bull taking it for their championships, or like you know sometimes Alpha might just have a crack and see if they can steal a point just for fun. Who knows? For for. Memes and giggles. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's one championship point in its own right, so yeah. no point in just like not going for it when you have the shot. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it could potentially just like Alpha Alpha Tower in the room, but with Alpine at the moment, they could easily yeah. lose that. 
And for another team that starts with letter A, Alfa Romeo have announced their second driver in Guan Yu Zhou. So it's a bit of a controversy seeing that there's a few people on Twitter ranting that they're not letting Carla Mylot on, they're not letting Oscar Piastri on. So like but Joe did have the money and Alfa Romeo does need the money, so like it's I think it's like a fair pick for Alfa Romeo, like in these world with Cassius King as Lewis Hamilton once said, like I think it's hard not to be tempted by the money. Oh yeah, for sure, especially a team like Alfa Romeo who probably want to try and get some money to build back towards the front. But Guan Zhou has been in Formula Two for three years. He's got four victories. He's a solid driver, but his junior record does not scream to me potential world champion, potential solid Formula One driver like a Nico Hulkenberg or um Sergio Perez who can just do the job week in week out it doesn't his junior record I saw it the other day I believe his he won one championship which is the F3 Asian finished third in something else but other than that he hasn't won anything and he's not even finished in the top five in most series he's been in so considering it's his third year in Formula 2 against drivers like Oscar Piastri Teo Pocher uh, Liam Lawson, who are all in their rookie season, doing quite well. You've got Robert Schwartzman as well, who's in his second season, who's probably now beginning to fade from the F1 picture. Although, but I do think Robert Schwartzman would have deserved that drive over Guanajuato anyway. It's just a very difficult one because Guanajuato brings the money, but I just don't know whether he has the talent to compete at the very top in F1. I think his, he's going to have a true test next year because I think Yuki was rushed to F1, and Yuki probably had a better record. Guan Yu I wouldn't say he's been rushed to F1, but he doesn't have a better record than Yuki, and Yuki struggled this year. Yeah, I guess it's just... I mean, the other advantage... I mean, it's just that the other advantage that Guan Yu brings is that he's obviously the first Chinese F1 driver to be introduced, and that might unlock a real, real huge market in one of the most populated countries in the world. So maybe he might just be here for, like, a season or two, and, like, he might just say... Okay, I'm done with Formula 1, I'm going to other series where I can be more competent. I might be able to find myself, I might be able to enjoy racing more. And, like, Chinese people now knows him, will probably follow him, like, to that series. Like, most other situations that have happened before. Like, once a while ago, we had this insanity in Taiwan where Jeremy Lin was playing for the New York Knicks. And he's now basically known, but people still trace him whenever news come up because he was famous, he played in the NBA, so... I believe Guangzhou might take that path down someday. Like, if he feels like he's not deserving, like, a good drive in Formula 1 or he's not doing great Alfa Romeo, he might just say, like, I'm going to WEC, which is getting more and pop- more popular. Or he might just say, like, just do another series where he enjoys more and yeah. just still bring the money now that he's been to Formula 1. Well, there is some controversy about uh, him. A quote from the race today um, said that F1 and Liberty Media are pretty much saying to Guanyu, about Guanyu that they're going to try everything they can to keep him in the sport, even if he loses Alfa Romeo drive. Which, I mean, I get why they want to do that, because the PR, China's a big market, and if they can chip into that market, it would be great for them as a business. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't focus on themselves as a business, but they can't focus on drivers more than others, especially when these said drivers are not potentially as good as some other options on pure talent. And when you're saying you're a sport which has 20 best drivers in the world, which isn't true now, and probably never in history has ever been the best 20 drivers in the world, but you want to aim for that. I think this quote, if it is true, 
really throw the shade into that because you can't keep a driver just because he brings a lot of money into the sport. You've got to keep him because he's good. I mean, if they bring money to the thi- to the teams, then it's great for the teams. But F one shouldn't be in control of that and shouldn't try and manipulate the way the market's going, the driver market. Yeah, personally, I believe that like. I don't think that Formula One and Liberty Media should try to keep Grand Joe in search for a drive, but I think that just be, should be completely up to the teams yeah. to decide who the drivers are. But whoever yeah. the team picks, I probably wouldn't have any opinion because like it's the teams who want the drivers. Like they might pick them for a different purpose. It might be for marketing, it might be for money, it might be just for talent, as most of the situations are, or it might be just a political move trying to like scrap for whatever the best option they have in comparison to what other teams might be getting like such as Ricardo going like having discussions with Ferrari or McLaren back in 2019 who knows but like it's up to the teams to decide who they want to drive the cars and not Formula 1 and Liberty Media I agree yeah yeah so that will we'll have to see where that goes if there could be nothing to it and it could just be a quote or something taken out of context by the race but the race are quite a tough story source so uh it's going to be interesting the way that pans out. Yeah, and um, obviously speaking about somebody coming in, somebody loses out as a result, and that would be Antonio Giovinazzi, who yeah. as soon as Guangzhou was announced, announced that he's moving to Formula E to drive for Dragon Team Penske, proud to meet Sergio Seta Camera in the team that have been swapping out the second driver pretty, pretty often with, I believe it was Nico Muller who started last season before swapping to Joe Erickson to end it off as Nico Miller focused, like switched his focus back to DTM so it will be interesting to see another Formula 1 driver moving to Formula E and that will probably bring a bit more popularity and we'll just have to find out how well he performs and maybe he starts a shot back to Formula 1 after he, his reception who knows yeah we'll have to see how that moves go for him obviously with Formula E I wouldn't really say it's um, the best place for a driver to show their abilities because there's always these handicaps. You have that in loads of series, like touring cars, you have handicaps for championship protagonists and race winners, but Formula E is like that to a very much extreme. So I hope that this season with a new qualifying format in Formula E they've changed that a little bit um, so it's more even and Antonio and all the other drivers can show who is truly the best driver there. But I think if they have sorted those issues out, especially the issues they had last season, such as um, loopy rules with Lucas Degrassi going in the pit lane in London, and then the uh, everyone running out of battery, which is absolutely hilarious to watch, but an absolute farce. If they sort those issues out, I think Formula could become a good series, and I think Antonio could thrive there. But I think at the moment, I'm thinking, I wish he was in IndyCar <laughs> or some or like the World Endurance Championship which you might do because Formula E I think the tri- I think I think there's only one clash next year um, which is a, still a to be confirmed on the Formula E side so it could still end up that Antonio races in WEC or some sort of I mean it's pr- like it's pretty much Formula E driver's second job in fact like Buemi races both for Nissan yeah. and for Toyota John Vaughan races for like a few I believe and Da Costa races for both Jota and Tachita Nick De Vries for the Team Nederland I think he was calling as a sub, but oh, the sub. I mean, I, no, I think he was just calling as a temporary substitute, or like a helper, whenever the team needs him. I think like, he's he's always at Le Mans. No, he, no, he does drive for Team Netherlands. Don't get me wrong; it's just that I don't think he's like oh, okay. their main driver's yeah. choice. So there you have it, and that probably ends most of our Formula One. And let's move on to the next series, which is IMSA's finale, also known as Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta, a ten-hour endurance race where we will probably see a few endings for 
like a few cars for example the gtlm class in imsa which is just same as gte and mazda's dpi being phasing out at the end of the season after reducing the one car operation this season which luckily they won the last race so congratulations to them and like it's just i guess a great result from mazda like to be able to still perform even like in a diminishing environment where DPI is probably going to be phased out to the new Vango LMDH starting in 2023. And, well, I guess it's just good news and we're not sure about their future yet, but all the best. Well, as of the GTLM side, we see an end to the whole class in IMSA as a result and that will be BMW's final outing in GTLM as a general, I believe. I don't think they're even returning to Le Mans next year. Oh, wow. Yeah, but well, that's that. That's the end of the story. And Corvette has a result. The most successful manufacturer as a whole have announced that they're going to be racing GT3s next time with the Corvette GT3R being announced right towards the IMSA finale. And I hope that they're probably going to enter both the new GTD Pro and GTD AM classes in IMSA next season as soon as it's out. Whereas, well, BMW, as mentioned before, they, ha they did end the GTLM program, but they have updated the M4s to become GT3s and they're probably going to be entering those in the Pro and AM class as well. So the future is still bright for the manufacturers and like BMW's also confident they're going to enter a LMDH in the near future. So it's just not everything's gone yet for those two manufacturers, even though it's a season finale and the season's come to the close to the American type endurance racing. And I guess that is on the new story surrounding the race and let's go to the race itself where obviously we got a horrific crash that didn't have any injuries didn't have much of an impact except taking out jordan taylor who was driving the number three gtlm tried to lap three gt daytona cars at, who were having a three wide battle one of them backed out too late and obviously nobody could react to that and jordan just had to crash into it which triggered a massive pile up and the caution was called out then so it's in some way i believe to similar to Magello 2020 where was it bottas that accelerated too late that caused um, a pile onto the well, tifi bottas never went in that thing but i'm pretty sure people thought that he went in the pack and had basically much pretty much it was like a snake i don't know what it's called um accordion effect yes accordion effect where pretty much the driver they're catching up to the pack and they're accelerating for so the pack behind have to accelerate more and they think that they've gone and eventually it led to an effect where everyone was heavily braking when they hit the pack and eventually everyone just crashed into each other in Magello. yeah well that's basically what happened if you want to put it into perspective and that's just that caution happened and unfortunately that leads to Corvette one of the cars basically literally taken out of the fight of the whole race like halfway in and the other number four car had a suspension issue very very late in the race which led to both both of the cars dnfing at the final outing in imsa which is a real shame considering how successful they were in the class so the porsches took a one two victory in the class as a result and having basically not having a factory team instead of having basically customer teams doing their job this time it's i guess porsche salvage something even though they're not in the fight so it's just interesting to see um the other one coming to the race finish 
in the end was a championship battle for position on track as well. This the, makes the, me sad. <laughs> the <yeah>. Rossi fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of Rossi, because Rossi was not driving the number 10, but he was part of the number 10 team who yeah. was trying to overtake the number 31 for position and for the championship because whoever finished ahead at that time would have been the championship winner. And, well, as Mark mentioned, Rossi was part of the number 10 team. So seeing Ricky Taylor trying to dive down in the inside, cutting through the gravel and barely taking position for a few moments before, I believe it was people there only who had the better exit to outside of it and just retakes position anyway, just... Yeah, I mean, I know we have differing opinions on this because we've discussed this, but do you think, because obviously it was at the final corner, if you haven't seen this incident, by the way, I recommend looking up online because it was um, pretty much quite, it was quite an ambitious move from the number 10 from Ricky Taylor. He was a long way back. He just thought, I've got to go for it because it's the championship. He messed it up, went across the grass, and he was in, uh, briefly ahead before he, because of the momentum on the grass, he lost it. But it was at the final corner, pretty much, there was one corner after it. Um, I wonder, would he have got a penalty or should he have got a penalty if he held on to take the championship? Because I know we have differing opinions on this as far as I, I remember. Yeah, personally, I believe that even if he took the position or not, I believe no penalty should be given because it was just racing. It's the final lap of the season, final lap for everything. Like, we know American motorsports love drama. They watch nascar for a reason they watch indycar like all of them like they want to build the drama as much as possible so i believe they like to keep that feeling of like excitement alive instead of like just calling up for the penalty and just knock the whole excitement dead as a result so i believe rossi no rossi would have been part of the championship winning team because he wasn't racing full time for the team but like i believe the number 10 should have kept the championship if they took the position so there you have it because my opinion, uh, as I'm sure our viewers can guess by what I've said already, is that I think if he held on to the lead, that should have been a penalty because from the way that he cut the track, I think that you can't just cut the track to win the championship. Even if even if it was a mistake, you can't get, cut, leave the track, get an advantage and win the championship from it. I think it would have led to a massive disagreement, which we probably rumbled on for at least a week probably even longer potentially it would have been this whole major thing i reckon if number 10 did hold on but i think he would have or should have got a penalty if he held on i mean technically you could argue he should have got a penalty anyway but it wouldn't matter anyway because i don't think he would have lost any positions or if he did it wouldn't matter anyway because he lost the championship but it's the fact that he just cut the track and gained so much of an advantage from it before then obviously the momentum cost him but yeah it's a very tough one to decide uh, but luckily we don't have to decide that because number 31 won one and yeah so the other winners as a result let me give it a quick check because i unfortunately did not bring that up so yeah very professional organization here on the Motorball i kind Backpage of podcast. I kind of, <laughs> of screw myself over with it because i really really should have got this up before but like i can do i do can talk about the championship winners because i did research it up before the number 31 wins the dpi championship the number 52 pr1 mattison motorsports wins the lmp2 class the number 74 wins the new lmp3 class that was introduced in well this season really where like imsa tries to bump their entries up a bit by introducing a new class and like 
we saw a very large performance split at the 24 hours of Daytona because like some teams were just much much better than others with their drivers with their basically everything so there was that and number three it, which the Corvette took the GTLM championship long before whatever happened to them later in the race so that was that and number nine wins the GT Daytona class and that will be all the championship winners and as of the race results which I finally brought up the number 55 Mazda wins the DPI in the final outing. Number 8 Tower Motorsports wins the LMP2 class. Number 74 wins the LMP3 as well as championship. The number 79 wins the GTLM class and the GTD class was won by the number 23 in a Aston Martin Vantage. So that's probably most things about IMSA at the moment like we've talked about everything that probably could happen in an endurance race which was mostly mostly boring but like do has its bright sides when it happens so i encourage you guys to give it a watch like when you have the time because like although it might be a bit longer it's always something good you can put on the background and that's the end of IMSA which moves on to the other season finale we have is MotoGP running at the circuit Ricardo Tormo at Valencia where Francesco Spanaia took a rather dominant win I believe like and a Ducati first ever podium lockout yeah well it was um a good battle with Bagnaia and I forgot who else Jorge Martin yes uh, it was a good battle between them for both the race um I, well you had um I think it was Martin leading early on and then Bagnaia took the lead it was yeah it wasn't the most thrilling race ever but it was a good race um but obviously that what really the championship was decided the main story wasn't even at the front it was the fact it was Valentino Rossi's final race and um obviously he is a championship legend a MotoGP legend nine championships within the Moto MotoGP and the 250cc at the time and 125cc classes um pretty much won it all 115 Grand Prix victories 243 podiums I mean, it's going to be weird not seeing him around next year. I guess, but time moves on. And we obviously had a few different championship winners since then, which includes a quite a few times from Mark Marquez, uh, Joan Mir from last season, and yep. Fabio Cotaro from this season. And but ironic- as well. Yeah. But ironically, had Francesco Banaya not crashed at Misano, he probably would have been a championship leader with the win gifting him 25 points and pushing Fabio Quattaro down one position. That probably would have been enough points to counter the deficit of 26, which is what he lost by in the end. Yeah, because Quattaro has had quite... Whether it has been slightly psychological because he's had the championship wrapped up, but he hasn't been great <laughs> to end the season. Um, obviously, DNF last time, I think he was 6th this round, 5th this round, if I'm correct. He didn't have a strong performance at all. Um, and I think it would have been, it would have been interesting to see whether that was a mind. Well, we won't ever know, but whether it was a mindset from winning the championship. Well, I guess we'll find out next season early on wh- how he comes out the blocks because he hasn't been great to end the season. Considering he's had such a good season this year. Yeah, like congratulations, Fabio. Of course, like first French driver to win the championship, I believe. And like it's been a great season for MotoGP fans. Unfortunately. We don't have too much information. We are not the experts here. So, like, I guess the only thing we can say is to basically tell you guys that MotoGP was a great season all out. And you guys will probably watch this on and on repeat because, you know, next season, Mark Marquez might be returning to his true form. Like, we got all these championship contenders. It just might be spicing up as F1 as usual. 
and like I mean that's a debate will Mark Marquez ever actually return to his true form because he's been obviously back now for this whole year with barring a few races where he was out but he hasn't ever re- he's lived up to the performance once or twice but he's never really been his old self and uh, whether that's repercussions from the injury he had or whether he's just not with it anymore compared to what he was he's such a good driver it's wi- oh, rider sorry it's weird to see this year how he's done compared to like every other year since 2012 with his first chance 2011 with his first MotoGP championship I'm not actually sure but one of those seasons yeah I believe it's just I think it's Mark Marcus taking a more gradual approach to returning after the injury because yeah. it was such a serious crash and I believe just Mark didn't want to give 100% every single race before he's make sure that he's fully recovered just in case mm. that the injury comes back again so we'll just have to find out in the future Another driver we're talking about for the future will be obviously Valentino Rossi, who has retired from MotoGP but has plans on a four-wheel future. As we know that he does GT endurance like from time to time and plans on going to Le Mans, I believe. So, like we'll just have to find out his interesting future as somebody who is pretty established in Formula, well, MotoGP, like and a bit of four-wheel racing as he once was offered a test with Ferrari and came pretty close to the test driver's results so he has the ability he has the potential and we're just gonna wish him best it's been a great season great career for him so yeah I mean, probably not those, the best of the seasons but it's been a great career I mean for those who haven't heard the um, Ferrari story I only found this out well I, I knew vaguely about it but I only actually found this out from Ryan before but he actually tested with Ferrari, did you say 2010 or something around that time? I mean, it was pretty like, it was about it, a decade ago. Yeah, about a decade ago he tested with Ferrari and um, apparently he was only half a second off uh, the, the actual drivers within a day of testing. It was, um, and I think he was considering or very close to actually trying to make the move into four-wheelers, Formula One single-seaters. Um, and I mean, that would have been so interesting because let's be real, not to be harsh on Rossi, but his... Um, since 2008, he hasn't really done much in MotoGP. I would have loved to see him do a, do stuff in Formula 1 or even, like, WEC or, st- or um, IndyCar or something. But, I mean, well, we might find that out in the future if he goes into WEC. We might not find F1 out ever, but might find other series. Well, I mean, all the best on him. And that probably ends most of the racing done. And let's just move on to the other news that happened, which is back to NASCAR where they are currently hosting a two-day test on the Charlotte Motor Speedway and introduce us is a new well half new team with Brad Keselowski purchasing a stake in Roush Fenway Racing and they've got a new name in Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing now and it's been interesting seeing how like basically Roush Fenway offered Brad a chance to become a driver owner and Brad taking up a chance to leave Penske a pretty dominant team in NASCAR to basically drive for the team and basically own the team and establish his own future now that he's won championships he's been in sport for a few years like he's probably fine on his future as well as we can see from Denny Hamlin who started 23-11 last season and it's been decent for him so we'll just have to find out how it goes is Brad actually driving his own car next year yes so it's not like Denny Hamlin who owns his own team but then doesn't drive his car yeah Brad is and owner driver right now, which yeah. we've not seen for quite some time, and it'll be, be interesting. interesting. Yeah, with even more so with the NASCAR Next Gen coming into play at last. So who's um, taking Bradford's seat? Um, that will be Austin Sindrig, the 
championship oh, yeah. contender that was that season because he did make a few selected cup starts the season led a few laps in the wet at Kota that was an amazing drive by the way before like Chase Elliott won it under red flag conditions but it was a very good drive for Austin and the future is bright so it's not all doom and gloom for Penske and we just have to see what happens well I do feel bad for Ryan Newman though who unfortunately has to leave the ride and we don't know his future yet but I guess time will tell yeah and next week Formula 1 goes to Doha which is the low sale circuit that MotoGP hosts their usual season opener most of the time like how Formula 1 does it with Bahrain these days so it's a new circuit for Formula 1 but we've seen decent racing for MotoGP and it's just it doesn't look like a track that will help Formula 1 too much it's um, not many straights and uh, obviously everyone rely on straights for a lot of their overtakes it kind of shows in a way the size state of the sport but I guess at the same time most series would probably find it hard to race around there except on the main straight because there's not really any real heavy break well, there's some heavy braking zones but it's mainly short straights and then quick corner short straights quick corner it'll be interesting how it goes this weekend I just hope for a good race and um, it'll be interesting because if Hamilton wins the next two races and Verstappen's P2 we will see them tied on points in Abu Dhabi assuming that Bottas and Perez steal past the slap wow so we just have to see like it happens and like championship fight has been very tight for this Formula 1 season and it's been great I just hope that it's the same for 2022 because if the regulation change once benefited a team for dominance it will be a real shame that something that's this good towards its final years would just be gone all by all of a sudden like so that's that and the other few events that are happening this weekend is slightly less popular but they are equally special in its own right because we got WRC going to Monza for its season finale where Rally Monza has been a popular annual event in its own right it's been happening for quite a few years like decades even but I'm not researching into it but this is I believe the first time that the World Rally Championship brings the like cars that good into something of an event and as a senior finale no less at a famous location we can only expect high tensions throughout the event just to see how the cars race on the old banking like it'll be very interesting to find out and that's one of them the other one is the world superbike championship going to mandalika street circuit at indonesia being a brand new circuit built like for I believe Formula 1 and made GP alike and it would just be interesting to see how the new cars race on the new circuit and even though it might not be as popular as most GP and Formula 1 it is an event that gets hailed from time to time so we just have to find out how it goes the other one that would have took a lot of headlines is the Macau Grand Prix weekend which is happening in Macau uh, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, most of the international events have been cancelled and replaced by national or local events, but it will still be some interesting stuff to see how the cars and drivers tackle the tight, fast street circuit. And I'm guessing Formula 3 aren't going there this year, or some sort of Formula 3 championship isn't going there this year. It is. It, it has been changed to regional championship, so yeah. not much of an international driver at all. Damn it. <laughs> so it's a shame. Like It usually raises a few eyebrows, like back in 2019, 2018, like, where there were battles for the lead, Sophia Flush being crashed into the 
I believe, over defence. So yeah, I mean that I wouldn't call a highlight. The Macau Grand Prix is something special, um, and I mean it's going to be a shame because obviously that's now two years in a row we haven't seen the prestigious Macau Grand Prix because that's kind of like the junior driver's dream. Besides F1, to win the Macau Grand Prix, that's like your second dream if you're not going to get to F1 to win the Macau Grand Prix. It's going to be a shame for them. So that's been everything we have to talk about this week. I'm your host Ryan Shea, beside me is Morgan Kendall, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.